Hello, this is Chris, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the June 6th through 8th editions of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. As always, let's start with some news. GCEDC OKs Breaks for Solar Project, Tavia. A proposed 5-megawatt solar project on Route 262 that is getting financial breaks from the Genesee County Economic Development Center should raise $345,868 over 15 years for the county, town of Byron, and Byron Burton School District. Over that time frame, Byron Burgeon would get $217,634, Genesee County $87,531, and the town of Byron $40,703 from the Payment in Lieu of Taxes pilot agreement. Project by GSPP Route 262 LLC would offer customers 10% discount on energy compared to the average market rates for the power it generates. The Community Solar Farm Project would use ground mounted solar panels to convert solar energy into electrical power. Project will also fund a community benefit agreement for workforce development and economic development projects in Genesee County and has a proposed host agreement for the town of Byron valued at 2,000 megawatt alternating current and a 2% annual escalator, the GCEDC said. Also, it is expected to generate $627,303 more in property tax type revenue to the county, town, and school district. That would be $46.16 in revenue for every dollar the vacant agricultural land would generate in its current use, the GCEDC says. The developer plans to invest about $14.2 million in the project, including construction costs of about $11.7 million. GSPP will get a sales tax exemption of $1.056 million, a mortgage tax exemption of $70,993, and a property tax exemption of $778,344. The developer would invest about $14.2 million in the project, including construction costs of about $11.7 million. Legislation would honor Mazurkowitz. Matt Sertel, Avon. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney has announced a bipartisan bill renaming the village's post office in honor of fallen police officer Anthony Mazurkowitz. Mazurkowitz was an Avon native. He died in July 2022 after an alleged gang member opened fire on his car while he and another officer, Sino Sang, were conducting surveillance. Sang and a 14-year-old bystander were also wounded in the attack city police described as an ambush. Officer Mazurkowitz is a hero who devoted nearly 35 years to upholding justice and protecting his community, Penny, Republican of Canandaigua, said in a news release. He exemplified absolute excellence in law enforcement. His murder was a tragedy that struck at the heart of our community. In recognition of his unwavering commitment and outstanding service, it is only fitting to rename the Avon Post Office in Officer Mazurkowitz's honor, she continued. It will be a continuous reminder to our community of of his brave sacrifice and heroic service. Mazurkowitz began his law enforcement service in 1988, starting as a jail deputy with the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. He joined the Rochester Police Department five years later and moved to its tactical unit in 2002. He received numerous commendations over the course of his career and is survived by his wife, four children, three grandchildren, parents, brother, and sister. My husband was a hero, and he made the ultimate sacrifice to keep our community safe, said his wife, Lynn Mazurkowitz, in a statement. This legislation will leave a lasting memorial in his name and preserve his legacy in his hometown of Avon. Our family is grateful to the local elected officials leading this effort and urge Congress to act swiftly, honoring the life and service of my husband. 
Other reactions to Tenney's proposal included State Senator Pam Helming, Republican of Canandaigua, Officer Andy Mazurkiewicz exemplified the true essence of a hero, selflessly putting his life on the line every day to ensure the safety and well-being of others. His 29-year legacy left an everlasting impact on our region. During conversations with many of Maz's colleagues, as well as his wife and children, it was very apparent he was a deeply loved and respected officer, husband, father, and grandfather. We will never forget the ultimate sacrifice he made. Honoring his memory in a way in his hometown is a fitting tribute to a man who loved the communities he lived in and was proud to serve. I commend Congresswoman Tenney for her leadership to ensure Officer Mazurkowitz's legacy lives on for generations to come. Assemblywoman Marjorie Burns, Republican of Caledonia. I appreciate Representative Tenney's initiative to name the Avon Post Office after Officer Tony Mazurkowitz. He was a dedicated public servant, receiving numerous awards and commendations throughout his distinguished career. Sacrificing his life in service to the city of Rochester, Officer Mazurkowitz is a true hero deserving of this recognition. Livingston County Sheriff Thomas Doherty. Rochester Police Officer Anthony Mazurkowitz served with honor and distinction, ultimately having his life taken far too soon. It is important that we never forget Anthony, and the naming of the Avon Post Office in his honor is a great way to forever memorialize him and his service. Avon Town Supervisor David Lefebvre. Officer Anthony Mazurkowitz exemplified the very best of Avon, from his time as a proud graduate of Avon High School to his honorable service with the Rochester Police Department. His unwavering dedication to the community, commitment to public safety, and love for his family was evident in the noble way he lived his life. It is deeply fitting tribute to name the Avon Post Office in remembrance of Officer Mazurkowitz, as it symbolized our gratitude for his selfless service and ensures his legacy will live on forever in our community. I hope this inspires future generations to serve with the same valor and devotion. In the meantime, a retired Rochester police officer will be making his way through the region as he continues a grueling series of 48 marathons in 48 days to honor Mazurkowitz. Brett Sobieroski is expected to pass through Arcade in Verysburg today, Attica and Batavia on Wednesday, and through Bergen into Monroe County on Thursday. Flames scorched DeWitt Park, Matt Sertel, Batavia. About an acre of the DeWitt Recreation Area was left charred after a grass fire Sunday afternoon in the city. The fire occurred about 4 p.m. It briefly generated a large amount of smoke which could be seen from Main Street. Firefighters arrived at the scene quickly and worked to bring the blaze under control with hoses and brooms. A preliminary investigation was continuing as of Sunday evening. All of New York State remained listed at high risk for wildfires as of Monday, according to the State Department of Environmental Conservation's Fire Danger Map. All fine, dead fuels ignite readily, and fires start easily from most causes in such conditions, the DEC said. Unattended brush and campfires are likely to escape. Fires spread rapidly, and short-distance spotting is common. High-intensity burning may develop on slopes or in concentrations of fine fuels. Fires may become serious and their control difficult unless they are attacked successfully while small. In the meantime, large wildfires in Canada's Quebec province contributed to an air quality alert issued Monday for most of New York State in its entirety, according to the National Weather Service in Buffalo. The State Department of Environmental Conservation cited airborne fine particulate matter in it in the decision. Fine particulate matter consists of tiny solid particles or liquid droplets in the air that are 2.5 microns or less in diameter. 
It can be caused by fires and similar combustion. Exposure can cause short-term health effects, such as irritation to the eyes, nose, and throat, coughing, sneezing, runny nose, and shortness of breath, according to the DEC. Exposure to elevated levels of fine particulate matter can also worsen medical conditions such as asthma and heart disease. The Canadian wildfire smoke was expected to last about 24 to 36 hours, National Weather Service forecasters said. Teen dead in drowning tragedy, spring water. An 18-year-old man has been pronounced dead after a drowning. Emergency personnel and Livingston County Sheriff's deputies responded about 1.40 p.m. Thursday to Kearney Hollow Road for the report of a person who may have drowned in a pond. Deputies arrived on scene and learned the male, identified as 18-year-old Emmanuel J. Hirschberger of Springwater, had entered a pond on the property to go swimming with another family member, said Sheriff Thomas J. Doherty. Hirschberger began experiencing difficulties while in the water. A witness said he eventually went underwater and didn't resurface. The sheriff's underwater search and rescue team responded to the scene and later recovered Hirschberger's body from the water. The Springwater Fire Department, Livingston County EMS, and Livingston County Office of Emergency Management also assisted at the scene, along with the Livingston County Coroner's Office. Flames damage funeral home. Batsertel, Attica. A mulch fire has been blamed for a Monday evening blaze which caused an estimated $125,000 in damages at the Marley Funeral Home. The blaze was reported 6.01 p.m. and generated a response from numerous area fire departments. Attica Fire Chief Stephen Bove arrived to find flames on the building's southwest corner at its front entrance. The fire was starting to extend upward and into the attic, Bove said at the scene. Smoke was also emerging from the roof. We sent crews right inside to start putting out the fire, pulling down the ceiling and trying to get access to the fire, he said. It was not in the display room. It was contained to the attic area and started going up into the second story a little bit. A second alarm was also called immediately. Firefighters worked on the roof and inside the building to get access to the fire. Portions of the building's side were melted from the heat. Nearby residents gathered in yards and waited on nearby sidewalks watching the firefighters work. Right now, we're still fighting it, Bove said at the time. It looks pretty well contained now, but I don't want to make the assumption just yet without a full confirmation of it. But we're checking for hot spots. We're making sure there's no further extension, and we continue to work at it. He believed the quick interior attack was good in Monday's particular situation. As the firefighting efforts continued, it appeared the first floor was pretty salvageable. The funeral home contained some chemicals in the embalming room in the rear of the funeral home, Bove said, but the flames were mostly in the front and extending into the second floor. When we showed up at the scene, we did a walk around, he said. The back seemed pretty clear, a little bit of haze but no real smoke. The real flames showing in the back, most of the damage is up front and up to the second floor and the attic area. It appears to be one wall. Owner T.J. Woodward arrived at the scene and watched with staff while the firefighters worked. He said people are welcome to reach out if they have questions or concerns about their funeral arrangements. He also owns the Gilmartin Funeral Home in Batavia and the Eaton Watson Funeral Home in Perry. We've got a location in Perry and we've got another location in Batavia, so we'll be able to take care of anything they need, he said. It still wasn't known what happened. We got one gentleman who was inside at the time that had passed away, but we got him out, Woodward said. The firemen were great. They were able to help us get him out. We talked to his family and everything's okay. Funeral home business is 102 years old. Woodward has owned it for the past 10 years. Bove said he believes a lot of the building's first floor is pretty salvageable. Noting the funeral home's history in Attica, he said the firefighters were working to preserve what they could. No injuries were reported as of Monday evening. 
Firefighters from Attica, Alexander, Bennington, Colesville, the city and town of Batavia, and Attica Correctional Facility responded. Attica Police and Department of Public Works personnel were also at the scene, along with Wyoming County Sheriff's deputies and emergency services personnel and National Grid. Firefighters from East Pembroke were on standby. The blaze had brought a quick response from lots of firefighters, a large majority of whom are volunteers. County emergency services personnel are crediting the quick response for saving the building. That brought up a crucial point for saving lives and property. Manpower is the biggest thing in the fire service that we are dwindling on, Bove said. There's a lot of training and a lot of stuff that it's involved in it. Nowadays, a lot of people are just trying to work and do what they're doing. It's hard to kind of give up the time, but manpower is the biggest thing, he continued. I really encourage anybody to look into it. It's something that's great to serve your community and help people out. Fire service is a big old family. Everybody is there for each other, and we take care of one another, and we do everything for our community. Outdoor fires have been a concern amid hot, dry weather. City of Batavia firefighters issued an advisory last week advising caution due to several fires they had encountered. All of western New York was listed at a high risk of outdoor fires as of Monday and Tuesday, according to the State Department of Environmental Conservation. Five officers injured in prison attack. Scott to Smith, Attica. An inmate who was screaming and flailing his arms attacked and injured five corrections officers at Wyoming Correctional Facility May 30th, union officials said. The inmate appeared to be on drugs, said Kenny Gold, regional vice president of the State Corrections Officers and Police Benevolent Association. Gold said an officer on routine rounds heard loud screaming and yelling in the dorms. He and another officer investigated and found the inmate out of control and flailing his arms. The two officers began to escort the inmate to the recreation room where he suddenly turned and struck one of the officers in the left side of the face with a closed fist. Gold said the two officers immediately placed the inmate in a body hold and forced him to the ground. They called for assistance as the inmate continued to be combative on the ground. Additional staff arrived and O.C. spray was administered after the inmate ignored orders to stop fighting. The O.C. spray had no effect. Staff were able to force the inmate's arms behind his back and apply handcuffs. The inmate was brought to a facility van and transported to the infirmary to be decontaminated and evaluated. At the infirmary, medical staff determined that the inmate was under the influence of unknown drugs. After treatment, he was placed in a special housing unit pending disciplinary charges. Five officers were treated by medical staff for injuries. The officer who was punched in the face sustained pain and swelling to the left side of his face and ear and slight dizziness. A second officer sustained a shoulder injury with limited range of motion. The three officers who responded to the incident sustained minor hand injuries subduing the inmate. All five officers remained on duty. The attack follows similar ones at other correctional facilities. Last week, we reported on an inmate who viciously attacked staff at Cayuga Prison and was eligible for parole in July, Gold said. Very similar circumstances in this latest assault at Wyoming. An inmate who was already paroled and returned to prison for violating the conditions of his parole, high on drugs, and attacking and injuring staff last week. He once again is eligible for release this summer. The circumstances of the attacks might change, but the common denominator with all of them is there is no disciplinary system left to deter inmates from breaking rules inside the facilities. The New York State Legislature took that away when they enacted the HALT Act. They continued to deny the facts of what their ill-conceived legislation has created, a dangerous work environment for staff every waking moment of every day. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Smoky haze hits western New York. Brian Quinn, Batavia. The grungy smell was impossible to miss Tuesday in much of the Glow region. 
similar to burning leaves or maybe a burnt house, look down the street and the view might be marred by a slight smoky haze. The Canadian wildfires and the impact they had on air quality in the Rochester area this week could have affected anyone. However, a Rochester regional health doctor said Tuesday, the air quality especially affected people with chronic lung conditions. Chief of RRH Allergy, Immunology, and Rheumatology, Dr. S. Shazad Mustafa, said the air quality on Tuesday in Rochester and much of the Northeast and the Midwest is being affected by the Canadian wildfires in Quebec. What that means is the air quality index is a measure of the pollutants in the air, not so much allergens, he said. That air quality can therefore affect your respiratory status, particularly individuals who have chronic respiratory conditions, asthma, emphysema, things like that. The air quality is lower than typical especially for our area, for not a huge metropolitan area, and it could have an impact on individuals' respiratory status, especially individuals with chronic lung conditions, he said. can affect anyone, but folks who are going to be the most prone to having respiratory symptoms are anyone with an underlying health condition, Mustafa said. We want to keep things in perspective. Although the air quality is suboptimal and not what we're used to around here, the impact it has, the degree of impairment it has, should be modest for most individuals, but you want to be aware of it. Regarding schools that canceled outdoor sports and activities Tuesday, Mustafa said he doesn't claim to be an air quality expert, but with Tuesday being an atypical day, doing that is a reasonable approach. It's short-term. It shouldn't be long-lasting, he said. According to an update Tuesday afternoon by Governor Kathy Hochul's office, more than 100 wildfires currently burning in Quebec are causing hazy conditions across much of the state. Batavia City School District canceled all its outdoor activities Tuesday based on recommendations of the Genesee County Health Department, but there were no concerns with indoor air quality, Superintendent Jason Smith said. Genesee County Public Health Educator Caitlin Patine said that the department was in touch with the school district Tuesday and told it that Western New York was still in moderate air quality alert status. We told the school district that they could cancel afternoon activities out of an abundance of caution, but this was not a mandate or recommendation at this time, Patine said said, we have not talked with any other school districts at this time. Monroe County is in the orange level, so many school districts have canceled after school activities in Monroe County. We would recommend that very young people and those with respiratory health issues such as heart disease and asthma may want to limit strenuous activity outdoors. Finger Lakes Raceway also canceled its races in Ontario County. In Steuben County, the health department warned residents to be aware of unhealthy air quality due to wildfires. Unhealthy air quality can be dangerous for those with asthma, respiratory issues, and for children and seniors who are more vulnerable to air pollutants than adults. We have been working with our schools to make sure children stay healthy, said Public Health Director Darlene Smith. When the air quality is at an unhealthy level, it's important for everyone to consider what outdoor activities can be rescheduled for when air quality is better. The department said that to find information on local current air quality measures updated hourly, go to airnow.gov. When air quality is deemed unhealthy, it is recommended to avoid strenuous outdoor activities and to generally limit active time outdoors. County Public Health Education Coordinator Lorelai Wagner said school districts were reaching out to the health department regularly on Tuesday and a superintendent's call was set up. They're all just trying to decide what would be the safest and healthiest routes for their schools and their children, she said. I know some schools canceled some games and sports after school. Each school was able to determine what would work best for their community. We have obviously heard some concerns about how it looks outside, how it smells, people wondering what's going on, she said. Wagner said the department was telling people about airnow.gov's updates. We did share that with everyone so they can check that whenever they want and make decisions based on what the air quality is, she said. 
In the meantime, an air quality advisory has been issued for Wednesday in western New York. The affected area includes Genesee, Livingston, Orleans, and Wyoming counties. It's expected the region will continue to be impacted by fine particulate matter, according to the State Department of Environmental Conservation. The region continues to be affected by smoke and haze from wildfires in Canada. Exposure can cause short-term health effects, such as irritation to the eyes, nose, and throat, coughing, sneezing, and runny nose, and a shortness of breath. Exposure to elevated levels of fine particulate matter can also worsen medical conditions such as asthma and heart disease. People with heart or breathing problems and children and the elderly may be particularly sensitive. Going indoors may reduce exposure. Some other ways to reduce exposure are to minimize outdoor and indoor sources and avoid strenuous activities in areas where fine particulate concentrations are high. Smoke just won't leave. Matt Sertel, Batavia. The wildfire smoke enveloping western New York showed no signs of letting up Wednesday as people endured yet another hazy day. Area residents woke up to a surreal atmosphere. Orange skies in some places, green-gray in others, as air quality advisory will remain in effect through 11.59 p.m. tonight. The smoke and smell may stick around a few more days as it drifts south from Quebec due to a coastal weather pattern. There's a big storm off the coast of New Brunswick, said forecaster Dan P. Kelly of the National Weather Service in Buffalo. The circulation around it is bringing stuff in from the north. That's going to persist and very slowly move out of the area. The storm system's circulation is counterclockwise, and the winds will last through Friday at least. Residents and organizations continue to experience the effects that began in earnest on Tuesday. Mercy Flight was among those affected. As we look through the window, we have much reduced visibilities than we normally would have this time of year, said Flight Director Dennis Crandall. We've got certain minimums we need to adhere to, visibility and ceiling minimums. We've had visibilities down less than a mile at times throughout the area, depending on when and where it is, in combination with fog. Mercy Flight typically operates under visual flight rules, Crandall said. That involves a minimum of two miles of visibility and sometimes more, depending on the terrain and surroundings. Smoky conditions kept helicopters on the ground at times on Wednesday, similar to what the Air Ambulance Service experiences during rain or snowstorms, but with no accompanying precipitation in this instance. Crandall was speaking from Mercy Flight's headquarters in Buffalo. We're at the airport just looking across the runway, and it looks pretty murky out there, he said. Besides the smoke on Wednesday, Mercy Flight was dealing with some fog in the southern tier. Crandall said he didn't know if they were related. The smoke continued throughout the afternoon and forced some cancellations elsewhere. As of 11 a.m. Wednesday, the air quality in Warsaw was listed as unhealthy, according to the Wyoming County Health Department. The air quality index for Orleans County had reached a very unhealthy level. Numerous schools and organizations canceled Wednesday events as a result, while the Ag Day planned for today at Perry Central School was postponed out of an abundance of caution. The worsening air quality statewide prompted a warning from Governor Kathy Hochul, who recommended that school districts statewide cancel all outdoor activities. The bottom line is this, if you can stay indoors, stay indoors, she said. This is detrimental to people's health. She said the state's 1.4 million asthma sufferers are at higher risk of serious complications with the air quality as poor as it is currently, and said there may be complications for people fighting a COVID infection or long COVID symptoms. Air quality in the state is tracked by breezometer, which shows that air quality around the state is largely very unhealthy, with the air around eastern Lake Ontario shoreline to Syracuse reported as hazardous throughout Wednesday. 
we're encouraging people to check the air quality in their zip code. They can go to airnow.gov, she said. And again, we're trying to encourage everyone to stay inside and stay hydrated. Take frequent breaks, and if you have a mask, the N95 is considered to be effective in protecting people from this. Health officials warn that breathing in such contaminated air, which is primarily filled with fine particulates that can infiltrate lung tissue and enter the bloodstream, can be difficult and can pose health risks like cancer and lung disease if a significant amount is inhaled. My administration has been in contact with the cities of Syracuse, Rochester, and New York, Hochul said. I support their decisions and the decisions of other districts who suspend outdoor school activities and strongly urge those who have not yet done so to follow suit. U.S. Senator Charles E. Schumer on Wednesday requested that the Federal Environmental Protection Agency partner with New York to monitor air quality. I will continue to carefully monitor the situation and make sure the EPA keeps in close contact with state and local officials who might have concerns or questions about the smoke, its impacts, and its trajectory, he said. I encourage all New Yorkers, especially those most vulnerable to unhealthy air quality, to follow public safety alerts, take precautions, and stay safe. In remarks on the Senate floor, Schumer warned that the fires, which started earlier and spread faster than average wildfires in Canada, are another example of climate change and its impacts on the environment. These Canadian wildfires are truly unprecedented, and we cannot ignore that climate change continues to make these disasters worse, he said. Warmer temperatures and severe droughts mean forests burn faster, burn hotter, and burn bigger. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on Wednesday sent a letter to the chief of the U.S. Forest Service, Randy Moore, requesting that he prepare to help the Canadian government fight the fires. The Canadian Fire Service has reportedly been stretched thin in responding to all the fires dotting the province of Quebec and the city of Ottawa. I urge the U.S. Forest Service to proactively work with Canadian Forest Service on fire suppression and mitigation tactics to prevent any damage to life or property to citizens of the United States, she wrote. In a rare advisory, the New York State Department of Labor's Division of Worker Protection also released an announcement encouraging employers located in regions with air quality health advisories to limit outdoor work and activities that require exertion. Industries with workers who may be especially susceptible to Canadian wildfire smoke exposure include farming and agriculture, construction, landscaping, highway maintenance, and other fields that require outdoor heavy exertion labor. Worker killed by dump truck, Scott Smith, Pembroke. A Middleport man was killed when he was hit by a dump truck while working on the state thruway early Wednesday morning, state police said. Brett K. Decker, 45, a site inspector for Patriot Engineering and Surveying, walked into the milled right westbound lane at 5.38 a.m. and was behind the truck when he was hit, the preliminary investigation revealed. Decker was pronounced dead at the scene. The accident happened in a work zone between exits 48 and 48A at mile marker 400. The right lane had been closed for paving. The driver of the dump truck, Mark C. Panaccio, 49, of Sanborn, was backing up at the time. The westbound lanes were closed as a result of the fatality. Obituaries Tuesday, June 6th Dorothy Dottie Ann Rowcliffe, 80 Richard K. Dole 79, of Batavia. Francis E. Mike O'Neill, 86, of Batavia. Ronald J. Klein, 90, of Silver Springs. Wednesday, June 7th. Christina B. Johnson, 63, of Batavia. Timothy M. Thornton, 
71, of Batavia. Jason W. Reardon, 50, of Batavia. Thursday, June 8th. Jean Scoynes Chase, 95, of Oakfield. Now some upcoming events in the community. Blood Drive will honor Oderkirk's memory, Pavilion. Blood Drive will be conducted Saturday in memory of Buddy Oderkirk. Oderkirk was diagnosed in 2015 with alveolar rhabdomyosarcoma at 18 years old. He died the following year at 20 years old. Buddy was the most beautiful, kind soul you would ever meet, organizer said in a news release. He had an amazing zest for life and to be a good person to all those around him. He fought his battle with so much grace and tenacity that you were in awe of his strength. Never a negative word about others and the epitome of the bigger person, they all continued. His smile lit up any room he entered. He is missed and loved by all who knew him. A blood drive will take place 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Pavilion Fire Department Recreation Hall's front room on 11302 South Lake Road. Those interested may also download the blood donor app, visit redcrossblood.org, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to schedule an appointment. Those interested in additional American Red Cross blood drives and opportunities may check www.redcrossblood.org. Red Cross sets blood drives in Batavia. Two blood drives are set for later this week in the city. The first blood drive will take place 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Thursday at the New York State School for the Blind. Those interested may park in the back and look for signs at Knight Hall. A second will follow 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Friday at the Veterans Administration Center. Check www.redcrossblood.org for more information. VFW Post plans Suvlaki Dinner, Batavia. Suvlaki Dinner will be served Saturday at VFW Post 1602. The dinner will take place 4 p.m. to sold out at Post on 25 Edwards Street. There is a $14 donation with dinner. Resale tickets are recommended. They're available at the post or by calling 585-344-3249 Friday or Saturday. Drug take-back set for Farmer's Market, Batavia. The Healing Genesee Work Group will be hosting a drug take-back day on June 16th at the Genesee Country Farmer's Market. The event is set for noon to 3 p.m. June 16th at the market, which takes place in the parking lot next to the former J.C. Penney building at Bank Street and Alva Place. It's in collaboration with the City of Batavia Police Department. Typically, local law enforcement conducts take-back days in April and October, but we felt it important enough to provide an additional opportunity for the community to safely dispose of any unused or expired medications, said Project Director Kristen Foley in a news release. This is just another initiative of Healing Genesee to help make our community a safer and healthier place. The Healing Genesee Work Group is a component of the GOW Task Force. Foley said a table will be set up at the market to collect prescription medications. As required by New York State, law enforcement personnel will be on site to assist in the collection process. We wish to thank our local police department for their partnership in this effort, Foley said. Workgroup representatives also will be available to provide naloxone training and share other resources with residents. For more information about Healing Genesee, contact Sherry Bensley at s-h-e-r-r-i dot b-e-n-s-l-e-y at c-o dot genesee ny.us. Golf event to benefit Hospital Foundation, Silver Lake. 
The 33rd Annual Wyoming Cup Classic Golf Tournament is set for June 22nd. The event benefits the Wyoming Community Hospital Foundation. It will take place at the Silver Lake Country Club at 3280 Club Road. Registration starts at 8.30 a.m. with four-person scramble format. A shotgun start will take place at 10 a.m. The event will include breakfast item and complimentary lunch on the greens, golf carts and balls, on-course beverages, a two-hour open bar, and sit-down buffet dinner. Last year's tournament raised about $30,000 for the foundation, which was earmarked to enhance the services, programs, and patient care provided to the area by the Wyoming County Community Health System. The number of golfers is limited to 144 players. Registration is due by Monday. Monetary donations are also accepted. Call 585-786-8940, extension 4459 or email Kim at K-F-O-O-T-E at WCCHS.net for registration information or additional questions. Canyon Camera Club show opens Friday. Harry. Members of the Canyon Camera Club will present an exhibition at the Arts Council for Wyoming County, 31 South Main Street. The exhibit opens June 9th with a reception at 6.30 p.m. Work will be on display in the ACWC's main gallery through July 28th. Public is invited to see a range of subjects represented and showcased through the lens of these photographers, considered some of the most accomplished in our region. Canyon Camera Club was established in 1948 when six or seven enthusiastic people came together to discuss photography and share images. But it was not until six years later in 1954 that they became an official club under the formal name of the Canyon Camera Club. Canyon was taken from Letchworth Park, often named the Grand Canyon of the East. The club's logo depicts the former train trestle, 1875 to 2018, over the upper falls in the park. Canyon Camera Club was one of the 23-member clubs of the Niagara Frontier Regional Camera Club in western New York, southern Ontario, and Erie, Pennsylvania. The NFRCC was established more than 50 years ago, but unfortunately is being dissolved effective June 30th. Over the years, one of the main goals of the NFRCC was to promote the enjoyment of photography. The Canyon Camera Club adopted that goal, guiding its programs and activities. For many years, the club met on the first and third Wednesday of each month between September and May at the Arts Council for Wyoming County. Still, the COVID-19 pandemic and Western New York winter weather forced the club to conduct an alternative meeting schedule. Hence, they invite the public to check the Canyon Camera Club on Facebook for programs and club news, and they welcome photographers of all skill levels to join the club or visit as a guest. Regular gallery hours are 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Wednesdays, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Thursdays and Fridays, and 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Saturdays. For more information, call 585-237-3517 or visit artswyco.org. Crime. Alleged thief has pending felony indictment. Scott DeSmit, Clarendon. Parolee from Clarendon, arrested last month for a series of thefts in Orleans County, has a pending felony domestic violence indictment against him in Genesee County. Wade J. Murphy, 50, is supposed to appear Monday in Genesee County Court for further proceedings on the indictment, which was filed in March 2022. He is charged with second-degree strangulation, first-degree unlawful imprisonment, second-degree assault, and attempted second-degree assault. 
Murphy is accused of attacking a woman while at a residence in Oakfield on July 12, 2021. The woman suffered serious injuries in the attack. Murphy was on parole at the time of his arrest. His parole expired February 19th. He was convicted of felony DWI and burglary in 2012 in Orleans County and sentenced to four to five years in prison. He violated parole after his release and was returned to prison in 2018. He was then released to parole April 30th, 2020, according to State Department of Corrections. Murphy fled the state at some point. On May 20th, Murphy was located in South Carolina after an extensive investigation into the thefts of numerous vehicles in Monroe and Orleans County, including a UTV, zero-turn mower, jet ski, and camper. Murphy and Jennifer T. Sportsman, 48, both fled before investigators raided their house on Francher Road. She was arrested May 5th after she returned home to retrieve property. Both faced charges of four counts of third-degree criminal possession of stolen property, fourth-degree criminal possession of stolen property, third-degree criminal possession of a weapon, and fourth-degree criminal possession of a weapon. Murphy has additional charges in South Carolina. Fired principal guilty of molesting child. Scott DeSmith, Batavia. The fired principal of St. Paul Lutheran School admitted Monday that he molested a child. Jason R. Clark, 42, pleaded guilty Monday in Genesee County Court to second-degree course of sexual conduct against a child. The charge carries a maximum penalty of seven years in prison, but Clark was allowed to be placed on interim probation for one year. If successful, he can withdraw his plea and plead to a lesser charge and avoid state prison. Clark was indicted in January and charged with repeatedly molesting a child in the school from around Labor Day 2014 to mid-June 2015. Clark was a physical education teacher at St. Paul Lutheran School on Washington Avenue at the time. Clark began working at the school in 2002 and in 2019 was named principal. The student later came forward and city police began investigating the allegations about a year ago. Clark was put on leave at that time and has since been fired. Clark will have to register as a sex offender as part of the plea deal and will never be allowed to teach again. Registered sex offender faces child pornography charge. Scott DeSmith, Batavia. A registered sex offender was arrested last week and charged with possessing child pornography after a state police investigation into a complaint filed March 7th. Cody W. Crandall, 26, of Batavia, was charged with one count of possessing an obscene sexual performance by a child, a Class E felony, punishable by up to four years in prison. Troopers said Crandall also was charged with failing to report a change of address as a registered sex offender. That charge is more severe, a Class D felony punishable by up to seven years because Crandall has been previously convicted of a sex offender registry violation. Crandall was arrested June 1st and was arraigned in Batavia Town Court and released with appearance tickets. Crandall is a Level 1, the lowest level, offender on the New York State Sex Offender Registry. He was arrested in 2018 and charged with sexually assaulting a five-year-old child in Attica. At the time, he was charged with two counts of first-degree sexual abuse. He later pleaded guilty to misdemeanor forcible touching and was sentenced to nine months in jail and was deemed a level one offender. He was arrested in 2022 and charged in Warsaw with failing to register and was later convicted and sentenced to probation. Meth dealer gets state prison term, Warsaw. A two-time ex-convict from Allegheny County was sentenced Thursday in Wyoming County Court to a state prison term for dealing drugs. Jacob Burdick, 37 of Belfast, was sentenced to three years in prison with two years of post-release supervision for fifth-degree criminal sale of, of a controlled substance. Judge Michael Mahoon also sentenced Burdick to a concurrent term of 18 months to three years for bail jumping. Burdick was convicted of selling methamphetamine in the town of Arcade last year. He has served two other state prison terms, both for burglaries in Erie County. 
Also in county court, a Rochester man who was indicted in December on domestic violence charges was hit with another grand jury indictment. Andre L. Roberts, 29, is charged with 10 counts of aggravated family offense for repeatedly contacting the victim of his previous arrest. Roberts in December was indicted and charged with second-degree strangulation, third-degree assault, and two counts of criminal contempt of court. Motorcycle crash victim in satisfactory condition, Brian Quinn, Batavia. Batavia man Gregory Vigiano, who was run over by another motorcyclist after initially being struck by another vehicle, was in satisfactory condition at Strong Memorial Hospital, Strong Memorial said Monday. The man who allegedly ran him over fled the scene and is facing multiple charges, city police said last week. Mark Flaming, 33 of Batavia, has been charged with two counts of tampering with evidence, one count of leaving the scene of a serious personal injury accident, unregistered motorcycle, uninsured motorcycle, improper plates, and operating without a proper license following further investigation into the May 26th accident. Police said the initial collision in the accident was on West Main Street in front of Topps Friendly Markets. A motorcycle ridden by Vigiano, 34, and a vehicle driven by Rebecca Santiago, 37, of Stafford collided. After that, the flaming motorcycle allegedly ran over Vigiano while he was down in the road and then fled the scene. It is alleged that Flaming tried to alter the appearance of his motorcycle to avoid detection following the accident. Flaming was issued traffic and appearance tickets to appear at a later date in city court to answer the charges. Police say they would like to thank the public for its help during the investigation. Vigiano was eastbound on West Main Street at the Tops intersection when his motorcycle and the Santiago vehicle collided, after Santiago allegedly made an illegal left turn. Vigiano suffered serious injuries and was transported by Mercy Flight to Strong Memorial Hospital in Rochester. Santiago was ticketed for making an illegal left turn and driving with a suspended driver's license. Man indicted for dispensary robbery, Scott DeSmith, Batavia. A man who was on interim probation for felony burglary and assault charges was indicted by a Genesee County grand jury and charged with robbing a marijuana dispensary on the Tonawanda Seneca Nation. Isaac D. Abrams, 22, a Tonawanda resident, is charged with second-degree burglary and accused of forcibly stealing a safe and cash from Honeypot Dispensary on Pundry Road, March 10th. Abrams, who as a teen was called dangerous and increasingly violent, was on interim probation after he was given a chance to redeem himself after burglary and assault charges last year. Abrams was arrested in February 2022 and charged with first-degree burglary, third-degree assault, and attempted burglary after he entered a residence with intent to harm a person inside. He was allowed to plead guilty to attempted burglary in August and was ordered to attend a mental health program and be placed on interim probation for one year. A grand jury indicted three other people. Matthew M. Kiefer, 35, of Lindenville, is charged with third-degree burglary, two counts of fourth-degree grand larceny, and one count of third-degree criminal mischief. He is accused of forcibly entering Ideal Burial in Pembroke, March 16, 2022, and stealing two American Express cards belonging to the company. Chad W. Maine, 41 of Warsaw, is charged with felony DWI by drugs, felony aggravated unlicensed operation, fifth-degree criminal possession of a controlled substance, and seventh-degree possession. Maine was arrested December 2nd after a traffic stop in Leroy in which he allegedly ran from deputies. Maine, who has a criminal history dating back more than 20 years, was released from state prison October 26, 2020, after serving a one- to three-year term for felony DWI. He had been on parole until March 2022. 
ALW Skates Jr., 23 of Middleport, is charged with fourth-degree grand larceny for allegedly stealing more than $1,000 worth of items from Home Depot in November. Blotter, Alabama. A Lockport man was high on drugs when he crushed his car on Lewiston Road Saturday afternoon, state police said. Dennis M. Schultz, 31, was charged with driving while impaired by drugs after an investigation into the personal injury crash about 4 p.m. just east of Alabama Hotel. Passenger Gene L. Graham, 38, of Rochester, was charged with misdemeanor drug possession. No other details were available. Octavia, Gregory A. Pallone, 60, of Tennessee, was charged with DWI after he was stopped at 1.30 a.m. Sunday, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. He is to appear June 22nd in town court. Stafford, Kenneth D. Robinson, Jr., 49, of Batavia, was charged with misdemeanor drug possession after he was found with crack cocaine during a traffic stop on Route 33, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Pavilion, Madison L. McKenzie, 18, of Batavia, was charged with criminal contempt of court and endangering the welfare of a child, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. Deputies were called to a residence on South Lake Road May 30th for violation of a court order and found that McKenzie allegedly messaged a person under 15 on Snapchat and sent explicit texts and photographs. She is to appear June 20th in town court. Batavia. Israel Obergon Jr., 42, of White Cove, North Carolina, was charged with DWI after he was stopped on Route 33 May 29th, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. He also was charged with felony aggravated unlicensed operation, misuse of dealer plates, unlicensed driver, and obstructed vision. Pavilion Jason W. Labar, 37, of Bethany, was charged with petty larceny for shoplifting, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Pavilion John S. Wiley, 23, of Mount Laurel, New Jersey, was charged with driving while impaired by drugs after he was stopped Saturday night, state police said. He also was charged with misdemeanor criminal possession of a controlled substance. Gaines, Raymond W. Belolovec, 54, of Hamlin, was charged with DWI after he was stopped May 29th, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. You are listening to a reading of Articles and Features, from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Carrying the Torch for Special Olympics, Brian Quinn, Albion. It's a long-time tradition, but it's new to Albion. This was the first time Albion was one of the legs of the law enforcement torch run to support Special Olympics New York, and the Flame of Hope made its way through the village Monday morning. There are two other stops in the next two days, continuing an event that's more than 30 years old. Together with local athletes and supporters, law enforcement torch run representatives raised funds and awareness for Special Olympics New York. The group that was running or walking gathered around Special Olympics of New York Senior Director of Development Erica Reppel before the torch run began. Reppel said law enforcement has a special bond with Special Olympics. You guys are the guardians of the flame of hope, which we have with us today for our athletes, she told the officers from Albion Police Department and the Orleans County Sheriff's Office, who joined the other participants. You guys are their heroes. You guys are the reason that when they compete, they do their best. Reppel thanked the officers who came out to support Special Olympics by buying the t-shirts. In the state last year, law enforcement alone raised about $2.4 million for Special Olympics, Reppel said. We're able to continue our programming like our unified programs and our traditional sports programming. 
Special Olympics does more than just torch runs, Rebel said to the crowd. We're sending a local officer from Buffalo over to Berlin. He's actually leaving today to run the final leg in the torch relay, she said. He'll be on ESPN next week for our world team. We are not just a local program, we are international, but we can't do it without your support. Reppel said it was great for the students who were taking part to participate because the Special Olympics is doing this for them. The Senior Director of Development said Village Board Member Tim McMurray had reached out to her during a torch run in West Seneca wanting to do something in this area. It took a couple of months to plan it, she said. Reppel estimated there were about 20 to 30 participants in Monday's run. Albion students and community members were in the group as well. We do about 20 of them throughout western New York and over 50 throughout the state, she said. Asked whether she expected 20 to 30 participants, Ripple said, you never know with the first year event, so it's great to see the support. Fundraising comes from sponsorship and t-shirt purchases. We probably sold enough shirts to sponsor an athlete, a local Special Olympics athlete, for an entire year. So that cost about $500, Ripple said. McMurray said he's done torch runs a couple of different times and contacted Ripple after doing a torch run leg in Niagara Falls with Police Chief David Mogul. We decided we'd like to get one out here to try and raise awareness out here in Orleans County, he said. Erica reached out this year so we could start organizing this one. He asked Mogul to run in Niagara Falls with him so the chief could see what it was like. It's easier to have someone do it than to explain it to them, he said. Leslie Dom of Waterport is a volunteer and has donated to Special Olympics since 1979 when the International Special Olympics were at SUNY Brockport. She planned to walk in this event and was excited to be part of it, having done other walks. I know Tim and I know several of the policemen, she said. The athletes who participate don't know the word disability. They're just special people. They love what they do. Mogul was the one who would start off with the torch before passing it to another officer. He said the torch would be his to carry until Rebel told him to pass it to someone else. They just handed it to me, he said with a laugh. Mock dogs out to 2-1 start to season. Alex Brasky. Batavia. Caleb Rodriguez's RBI bunt single proved to be the difference during an exciting high-scoring matchup between the host Batavia Muck Dogs and visiting Niagara Power on Sunday evening. On daily news night at the stadium, the Dogs outlasted the scrappy Power 8-7 with Rodriguez's bunt back to the pitcher in the bottom of the eighth inning, scoring Lucas Lopez and providing Batavia with one-run lead before they nailed down the victory with a clean top of the ninth. Ryan Kinney came on in relief of Alex Hale, who relieved starter Jack Keeler in the top of the sixth and hurled three scoreless innings, during which he struck out five Niagara batters while earning his first victory of the season. Ronaldo Eusen was called upon to close the deal, recording a scoreless ninth to earn the save. Keeler pitched the first three innings, scattering five hits while allowing five runs, four of which were earned, and striking out four against a lone walk. Hale worked the next two frames, allowing two runs, one earned, on three hits while striking out one and walking one. Offensively, Batavia was powered by Giuseppe Arcuri, who finished three for three with a walk, run scored, and two RBI. Arcuri is batting 333 through his team's first three games of the season, as is Matt DiStefano, who finished Sunday's win one for four with three RBI. The team's top hitters, leadoff batter Josh Leadham, 444, and Lucas Lopez, 429, each recorded a hit in the win over Niagara. Power were propelled by multi-hit games from Jack Strong, Billy Morris, and Jackson Fry, while Tom Bednarski pitched well over the final three innings of relief, allowing three hits and one run while being hit with a tough luck loss. 
Niagara begins its season 0-1, while the Dogs are now 2-1 after splitting two games against the Elmira Pioneers, including the team's season opener on Friday and its home opener on Saturday. The Muck Dogs fell 11-9 on Friday before responding with a 5-4 win on Saturday in Batavia. During Saturday's win, Julian Pachardo hurled six strong innings, collecting eight strikeouts while earning the win. Gray Bacon came on in the ninth for the save, striking out two. Leadham went one for three with a walk, home run, and two runs scored, while Anthony Calabro added a hit, two walks, and two RBI, which proved to be the difference in the game. On Friday, Weston Prince got the start for Batavia and lasted just two and two-third innings, allowing six hits and seven runs while striking out four. Leadham finished two for four with two runs scored, three stolen bases, and three RBI, while Rashad Robinson recorded a two-for-three afternoon, including a walk, a couple of runs scored, and three stolen bases. Henry Daniels went two for four with a walk, a double, and two RBI. Batavia is back in action on Tuesday, when they will host Niagara at 6.35 p.m. at Dwyer Stadium. Sheriff's Office Honors Corrections Grads, Warsaw The Wyoming County Sheriff's Office has announced the graduation of three correction officers from the Correction Officer Academy. The Correction Academy was hosted by the Livingston County Sheriff's Office Correctional Services Bureau and ran January 16th to April 27th. Officers were trained on topics such as ethics, defensive tactics, caring for inmate population and essential services, corrections law, penal law, and more. Graduating correction officers from the Wyoming County Sheriff's Office were Robert Krobe, Carissa Park, and Derek Forsha. Park also served the Correction Academy as the class captain. Wyoming Sheriff's officials are congratulating the three correction officers and thanking the Livingston County Sheriff's Office for hosting the successful academy. ACT may help HLOM get building grants. Brian Quinn, Batavia. With the Holland Land Office Museum planning to put an addition on the building and looking for grants to do so, the county proposes a formal lease agreement. The 20-year contract would be with the Holland Purchase Historical Society, Inc., for the Historical Society to lease the building at 131 West Main Street, which houses the museum. The Historical Society will be able to use the West Side parking lot in common with other visitors and users. If approved by the legislature, the agreement would go into effect July 1, 2023 and end May 31, 2043. As long as they continually operate and maintain the museum, every year the county will have an annual review of the operation to make sure it's okay and approve annually that it's up to legislator satisfaction, said County Attorney James Wujic. County Manager Matt Landers said the reason for the proposed agreements is to help HLOM pursue grant funds. They are looking at having a substantial addition, potentially on one side of the building. They're looking at trying to enhance the building for future generations, he said. These are all great ideas that I believe we support. Landers said the Historical Society would look into grant funding and make the upgrades for an addition onto the museum. The museum occupies the building at no charge and would continue to do so under a lease agreement. They just want assurances that we don't give the building away or sell it on them, Landers said. I am supportive of it. Jim Wujic was able to find the ability for us to do this over the course of 20 years with an out clause that we still have built into it. HLOM Executive Director Ryan Duffy said the reason for looking at a 20-year agreement is that most of the larger grants the museum would need to do an addition are looking for extended assurances that the museum will be able to occupy the building, which the county owns. That was really the major part of this, to allow us to go after large funding that requires this, he said. It just wasn't something that that we had had to prove that we were going to be in the building more than year to year. Landers said if the legislature, years from now, wanted to enact a 60-day clause to get out of the agreement, the Historical Society would not be liable if it had to repay money to a granting agency. 
the county would reimburse the Historical Society for any money it would owe an agency that had given it a grant. Landers set a Historical Society request for control of the 55 feet of the, to the east of the museum building was removed from a previous draft of the agreement. He said the county and the International Peace Garden to the east of the museum, have an agreement for the Peace Garden to control that location. We couldn't have two parties have control of that land, he said. My understanding is they have a good working relationship, so I don't see this being an issue, but it's still under the control of the Peace Garden as, as is. The Holland Purchase Historical Society, whenever they need it, they've been able to use it, so I don't think there's an issue there. Another change to the proposed agreement had to do with the museum possibly being used as a polling site. This was a polling site at one point in the past, and it may be in the future, if there's some renovation done to the building to make it more ADA compliant. I know sometimes the Board of Elections is struggling to find a place that's usable for an election, Lander said. We want to make sure we keep this option open in the future if we need this as a polling site. We don't foresee it in the near term because I think the building has some limitations to it, but if they're successful in getting some grant funds and making some upgrades, I think this could be a potential polling site. If there's any direct cost that the Holland Purchase Historical Society has to incur for that to happen, we would reimburse any direct costs. The committee voted to amend the proposed contract and also to move it to the Ways and Means Committee, which meets at 4.30 p.m. today. Committee member Gordon Dibble asked why the committee was considering this proposed contract at the last minute. Normally, we have more time to mull things over, he said. Wojcik apologized for moving the agreement document so quickly. We had gone back and forth and we wanted to expedite it. I had worked with opposing counsel that was representing the historical society, he said. Once I had that information, it got pushed up a little bit, but we made it happen. Legislator Marianne Clattenburg said the museum is a source of pride. Also, it's a very significant educational tool, she said. There's lots of students that come through there. I know HLOM wants to expand on that, expand on the programs and all that, so this is the first step. Landers said the clause to allow the county to get out of the contract if needed and the annual funding of the museum means there isn't necessarily a 20-year commitment by the county. Just like every year, whether it's GoArt or it's libraries, the same thing here with the Holland Land Office Museum. Each legislature can determine the funding level, he said. That's an important thing, that we're not binding 20 years of legislatures financially. After leaving the meeting, Duffy said architectural drawings for the addition are not complete. The proposed project is meant to expand the west side of the building, partly to address handicapped accessibility. The cost is to be determined, he said. The architect for the project is Smart Design. The executive director said the fact that the museum is on the National Register of Historic Places doesn't restrict an addition from being built onto it. It just means that we basically have to run the plans by State Historic Preservation Office. We still have to get their approval, he said Tuesday. Since we're not actually working on the historic part of the structure, it's not as big a concern. The main issue is making sure an addition to the building doesn't take away from the historic structure, which is the stone portion of the building at the front. A marathon of marathons. Scott to Smith. Brett Soboraski has been running and running and running since April 23rd in Palatka, Florida. His goal? To run 48 marathons through eight states to honor Officer Anthony Maz Mazurkowitz of Rochester Police Department. Maz was shot and killed while conducting surveillance in the city July 21, 2022. Soboraski, a retired Rochester Police Sergeant, is raising money for Mazurkowitz's family. Soboraski, a former candidate for Orleans County Sheriff, completed his 45th marathon Tuesday when he ran through Arcade and finished at Burncliffe Golf Resort in Verysburg. He was expected to complete his 46th this morning when he planned on running through Attica and finishing in Batavia near the Thruway Overpass. 
Thursday's run will take him through Bergen into Monroe County. Mazurkowitz, a graduate of Avon High School, was a well-respected veteran of RPD and served 29 years with the department. He could have retired in 2013, but kept working as a member of RPD's tactical unit because he believed in its efforts in drug-prone neighborhoods, specifically finding homicide suspects, what he was doing when he was killed one year before his planned retirement. Known for laughter and a salty demeanor, a decorated officer had a natural ability to talk with people so they might see police officers officers as humans. Mazurkowitz is survived by his wife Lynn, four children, three grandchildren, his parents, a sister, and a brother. Maz would tell you exactly what he thought, both the positive and the negative, Soboraski said in a statement to the press. He was a great sounding board and a great street cop. He could have retired or taken a desk job, but he wanted to be out there amongst the chaos, catching the bad guys. I wanted to do what I could and to let the family know we remember him and his sacrifice. To see more about eight states from as and to see Soboraski's progress, go to https colon slash slash runsignup.com slash race slash ny slash Rochester slash number eight states for mass. He is expected to run his final marathon Sunday, finishing at the Hall of Justice in Rochester about 11 a.m. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the June 6th through 8th issues of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Chris. Thank you for listening.